What is up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the Fetch It podcast with Connor. I never asked you before. Mather? Mather? How do I pronounce the last name? Mather. Mather. Okay, we were with Connor Mather. He is an ICU nurse, and he is coming on our podcast today to talk to us a little bit about his real estate investing. So, Connor, can you kind of tell us about yourself? How did you get your start? What was the beginning for you? Sure. So, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and and uh, kind of my, my nursing school took me out to North Carolina. And that's kind of where I, where I learned the, the real estate market that I currently invest in. So I uh, started getting, going through nursing school there. And, uh, you know, I had no money at the time, but I got to learn the neighborhoods and stuff like that. And to be honest, real estate wasn't on my mind in the sense of how I, I, I've kind of gotten into it. Um, but once I got my first nursing job, it was really important for me to buy a house. My, my father is in construction and he kind of encouraged me to do that at a young age, but I had no money. So now that I had a little bit of money, um, it was important for me to do that. So I, I bought a house close to the hospital and I, I bought, I looked for a house that had its own, every bedroom had its own full attached bathroom. So that was, um, kind of, it was very, it was a unique property. And I knew that like people my age would want their own bathroom. So I, I jumped on that and I was like, all right, the, I learned about the 1% rule on bigger pockets. Like this is going to work. And uh, you know, uh, that's kind of how I got my start in it. And then uh, I guess what I, I furnished the place. I, I had, didn't have it rented as a furnished rental at the time, but I furnished the common areas. I furnished my room and I kind of let the tenants who were grad students and healthcare workers furnish their own rooms. I rented it out in 12 month leases and I rented it room to room to get a little bit more money. And then from there, I was like, I, I moved back to California because I could make more money as a nurse here. My family and friends are here. And, and I was like, well, travel nursing, like there, there's really a need for that and a need for housing for travel nurses and medical professionals. So what if I just furnish the rest of the house? This is our, this house is already half furnished and I could really raise the rents and I could rent it out to one or two people instead of three or four people room to room, make more money and do less work. So from there, I, uh, I did that and it worked. I was making more money doing it, renting it that way. And then um, since I've been doing that, I've, I've gotten into the development side of real estate a little bit. So, uh, and this is all over time. This is four years of time that it's taken me to learn kind of the processes of it, but the development side of real estate allows you to control your tax situation a little bit more. So I've kind of combined like midterm rentals and real estate development because I can make a lot of money and not pay taxes. There's really not a lot of other ways to uh, other than business, um, to, to control your tax situation outside of real estate. And when you're making good money, the, uh, the development side helps you bring that, that large amount of money back down closer to zero, which is where you want to be. So that's kind, that's of, kind of my journey so far. Yeah, that's super, super interesting. So that, that kind of took a turn that I didn't know about, about the development side of things. So Yoni and I, we're actually working on uh, some developments of our own. Uh, we're hoping to do some short-term rental development, um, but you're doing developments in what area? Kind of take us through that. And how did you like learn that this was a good idea or a good way to do that? Do you have a mentor that told you this or how did you figure that out? So I guess my, my father is kind of the mentor uh, in terms of like, you want to find properties. Like I, I specifically look for properties that with ADUs or with 
uh, basements or, or, or areas that I know are zoned for multifamily because then I can tear it down and build a four. I can tear down a, like a, a rundown single family house and build a brand new fourplex in a great location. So those are things that I kind of look for. And, and, and that is, uh, I mean, I'm sure I, I use like software like PropStream and, and county, county websites and stuff like that to, to gather the data and to review like what, what areas I'm allowed to do what in. And then from there, I, I know like things like water walls or how you're going to get plumbing to certain locations and stuff like that. And that's, that's, that's construction knowledge that I learned from my father. Um, I've also like sometimes there, there, I bought a property off someone, for example, who had an old RV hookup and they put in like a utility set up for an RV to park there. So I rent that out. It's 700 bucks a month to park there. Someone else's RV in that spot because it's close to the hospital. So uh, that property also has a full house on it and it also has like a ADU on it. So that, that single family house is a triplex for my purposes. I couldn't sell it to you for a triplex, but I could sell it to you uh, on an, uh, as a cash flow machine, as a cash flow machine <laughs> value to that. So that's kind of like how I've strategized to, to, uh, maximize the cash flow for each property. Cause the majority of people that I'm competing with on Zillow is people who are looking to, to like raise their family or to live there themselves, um, in this house. And, and that's a good and a bad thing because, you know, people like, I'm working off of numbers. There, there's, there's an amount I'm willing to pay because the return I get is affected by that. Um, with a single, with, with like a, you know, a, a husband and wife or, or a single person or whatever, they're willing to pay a premium because this is where they're going to live. The bank said that they can borrow $500,000. Well, by God, they're going to borrow 500,000 and get the best <laughs> house they can. I don't, I don't do that. I'll get pre-qualified for, for the most that I can. Uh, but you got to pick the right property and all uh, I'm in no rush. Like I, I would rather pick the right property than be, be in a hurry and pick the wrong one and then have to backfill my way out and spend a lot of money and waste a lot of time. But um, that strategy I felt like is, is, is works for my schedule. Cause I'm still working as a nurse. So I tried the short-term rental strategy. I did not really put a lot of effort into building out systems for short-term rental management. Uh, I didn't want to pay 20 to 30% um, for some boutique boutique manager to manage that <laughs> property or uh, larger companies that outsource a lot of the management um, that don't do a good job, didn't want to deal with that. And also you just, you have a generally worse clientele with short-term rentals. You have people, it's not necessarily bad people, but the wear and tear is greater. So I don't, mm. I don't really like to, to play in that, in that, uh, I guess, uh, playpen or whatever. Um, go ahead. But, but if, so uh, do you mind digging into that? Cause there's a lot of people that are listening that, you know, they're trying to get their first short-term rental. You know, a lot of people that are involved with fetch it or using the fetch it platform, they're using it to try and find short-term rentals. And so uh, medium-term rentals is kind of the new shiny object. I'm investing in medium-term rentals. You're investing in medium-term rentals. So um, can you like, tell us about like your first foray into short-term rentals? Like, how did it go? What went wrong? What did you like about it? And what didn't you like about it? I mean, you kind of touched on like the clientele. They're just naturally a little harder on the property because they're like, eh, I'm only here for two days or four days or something like that. Medium term renters there for there for you know months, but like kind of how did that first shake out for you? So when I first got into the short-term rentals, I bought a property in a market that I had no clue about, which is maybe the majority of 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 
people who are buying short-term rentals. Uh, I trusted a real, real estate agent and they actually did an okay job. Um, but that market is not, is not geared towards, it, uh, it doesn't have a huge demand for uh, vacationers or it's mostly like, it's a, it's a decent sized city in North Carolina. And um, there's just not a lot of vacation demand. There's hospitals there, that's what there is. And there's, uh, there was a lot of work on my end. I was on the West Coast trying to manage it myself. I was working full-time during COVID. Uh, you know, 12 hour shifts. So I, you know, when people call, it's like, Hey, Connor, like I'm at the door. I can't figure out this smart lock. It's like, I have to go to the bathroom and like, try to help them get in while I'm at the yeah. hospital. It's like, I can't be doing that. That's not professional. And I was like, I can't, I either have to outsource the management of this, or I need to switch my strategy up a little bit. And luckily, you know, that property was conducive to midterm rentals. It was already furnished. So I, you know, I had, I have some experience dealing with property management essentially from across the country on the long-term side. So I was like, this is really isn't much harder. It's this pretty much the same thing. Um, so I'll transition it to that. And I'm going to get better clients who generally, you know, like, you know, I, my strategy is I, I price my stuff on the higher end and I get higher end clients. So you're not, you're, you're pricing out the guests that you don't really want at your property anyways. And, uh, you know, the people that when you price higher, you're going to get people who can pay more. And there's, there's kind of like a socioeconomic strategy behind how I price things. And because it attracts certain types of people and, you know, you want to try to do, you want to attract the avatar that you want at your house. Um, I had an air, a horror story from Airbnb. I had, you know, a local group of kids come and party and trash my Airbnb. That's a whole oh, story no. that I didn't really like. And it was because I was amateur, but I had cameras uh, pick up the whole thing. Uh, I was at work at the time. I guess this is kind of an aside, so, but I'm going to tell you it. because. Oh, no, please tell it. We love Airbnb horror stories. <laughs> so so I, I was at work and I was working from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. on the West Coast. The house is on the East Coast, though. So they're three hours ahead. And I checked my phone oh, no. at like 9 p.m. And there was like a full on like college party going on. So uh, that I, I was like, all right, well, I'm at work. I have a couple hours left. So I, the damage is done. Airbnb is going to I'm going to have a claim. Everything is on camera. So there's not really much that. Uh, denying what has happened. So I'm going to have an insurance claim or whatever. So I got off work and I was like, all right, well, when I was 20, what would really upset me at this point? No, it's two in the morning, East coast time, three in the morning. So I called the local police department and Airbnb. Airbnb was like, they, they were not particularly helpful in this situation. They're not really allowed to advise on what to do related to this. Um, but I called the local police department and had the, all the kids kicked out at like 3.30 in the morning. So I don't know where they went or what they did. Uh, I got on $125 profit. I, I made like 2,500 bucks off of the insurance claim on that. There, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't uh, necessarily that amount of damage, but there was a lot of time required into, required to remedy that situation plus lost reservations. Uh, and then at that point, it was like, that was when I transitioned fully to midterm. And I was like, the numbers work on the property because of how I purchased it for a midterm rental. And that's what I discuss. Um, that's, I guess, uh, another kind of pivot into midterm rentals and why I like them more is because 
I'm able to purchase properties that are not glamorous. Like they're the, the shiny object in Airbnb are like, you know, Scottsdale, Nashville, you know, these properties that you're going with a group of people for a bachelor party and, and like, you know, three to five bedrooms, those houses are a lot to purchase and they're a lot to maintain. And there's a lot of overhead. The majority of people do not, if they lost their job, if they, like, if they don't work in like, if they, if they don't own a successful business, work in healthcare, work in law, ha have a job where they can essentially sustain their life plus one month of, of an issue at this, you know, luxury Airbnb in Nashville. It's a big problem. That's like an $800,000 mortgage they're supporting. Um, that is, you know, probably 500 to $1,000 in utility and maintenance for the month. Um, that that's a big issue. So I think uh, another reason why I do midterm rentals is to mitigate my risk. I would rather take a smaller cut and be able to scale much quicker because of my systems and have less work because I am, my expertise is acquisitions and negotiation and creative floor plans. That's what I'm the best at. Go ahead. You happen to use virtual assistants at this stage? Uh, I do. I use virtual assistants. I have like one virtual assistant and I have one guy who manages all the communication on the East Coast because he's on the East Coast and he's a student. And he, he actually acts as a handyman as well. Oh, nice. Dude, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. So me and you, were going to like geek out on medium terms, I think the rest of the time, but uh, that's what I love about them so much as well. So I, I like to call them misfit property. So whenever you're going and you're finding these places and, you know, kind of misfit markets, like you said, it's not the Nashville's, the Scottsdale's, the whatever of the world. It's like Dayton, Ohio or Louisville, Kentucky, you know, or like Louisville is a little bigger, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and then you can go in and you can find these properties that are like, oh, it's a little two bed, one bath that's 800 square feet. Like, oh, nobody, you know, who wants to buy that? No investor wants to buy it because it's not going to cash flow. No family wants to buy it because they're going to grow out of it. And so it's the perfect, perfect property that you can pick up for, you know, 70, 80 grand or something like that in the, you know, in the Eastern side of the world or the Midwest. And it works perfect for medium term rentals. So I, I completely agree with everything that you're saying in that you are purchasing an asset that not many other people are looking at. And so it's just helping to reduce the competition and they're easier to manage. And it's, in my opinion, I have one long-term rental and it's a college house. And that thing probably takes twice as much time as my five medium-term rentals do in regards to management of my time. And mm -hmm. the, the, like, if you get good people in there, like you were saying, a higher caliber person, the management of them is nothing. I mean, like you say, hey, how, did you check in? Okay, yep, I did. Okay, sounds good. And then you don't talk to them until the very end of their stay, as long as there's not a house issue. I mean, it's phenomenal. I would say I always say that um, given the amount of people listening to David, it sounds like it's the best tenant profile you could ask for because a long-term tenant is going to is they're going to kvetch and complain about different things with the property and it's the lowest amount of cash flow. A short-term rental, it's the most amount of cash flow. But you know, you to your horror story, you know, you're going to find a rager in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night, and you're not nearby to like kick them out. But a midterm rental has cash flow strengths and the best tenant profile. And so I, I would say, I, I don't know if you said it explicitly, but it sounds like it's what enabled you now to like do things like development or like really wrap your head around that. And probably you have a lot more ideas going forward into your vision about development. Um, my, my next question was actually going to be going from midterm to basically being like, where does Connor go? um in the next two or three years i don't want to say five because that's so hard to measure but where's the next two or three years 
given all that you've been able to do, get yourself uh, a solid foundation. What do you want to develop? What's your dream? What do you think about at mm -hmm. night? What does it get you? What gets you excited? Yeah, David, hit it. Quick, quick side note addition onto that. What's what's Connor's portfolio look like now? And then what are you hoping it looks like in 12, 24 months from now? That's a better question. Do that one. Do that question. <laughs> do both. <laughs> the portfolio right now, I have four properties personally. Those properties, two of two of them are townhomes. I've converted those to function like a duplex. But in the event of an insurance claim and they need the whole house, they can function like a townhome too. All you do is put a a lockable door that locks from both sides. So those, those essentially, those two units uh, or two properties are four units. Um, I have uh, another one that has another one property, which has three units on it. One being essentially a parking spot for an RV and then uh, a home and a, uh, and a ADU on that property. And then one property is being developed right now. It's a duplex uh, that has a basement. So we're going to put in the, the basement unit. So that one's going to be uh, th three units. And then I manage my, my fiance's, um, she has a single family townhome. The floor plan with that can't be, really be creative based on, there's no, there's no basement on it and it's a townhome. So I can't really do any development within that community. And then she's actually under contract right now on another townhome that does have the basement. So, um, you know, I think in total right now, we are going to have, I, I, essentially we have 13 units as of next, uh, next month. Um, and 10 of which are in service right now, right now, uh, in terms of going forward, uh, I'm trying to spend less and less time on nursing. However, I do, I do need that job because another important piece of all of this, what, no matter what you invest in, in real estate. And I talked about this on my, on my uh, video with Jesse is, um, you need to be able to qualify for financing. That is a big deal. You need to have, it is easiest to do that with a bank with a W-2. Most people are not doing commercial loans and stuff like that. So I use nursing for, to qualify for debt. That is, that is why I am a nurse. Um, I, and I will need to keep doing that, um, you know, for a little bit longer, just to, just to, I guess, bridge the gap between what it takes to go ahead. Do you need that with development? So with development, it is easier to qualify for more debt. Essentially, you have to you can put less of your own money in the pot if you do conventional loans. So and conventional loans usually they play nicer with W two income. You can do it with ten ninety nine income. It's more of a pain. You can do it, you know, as a as a owner of a business. It's more of a pain. Terms of your in terms of uh, producing documents quickly that um, that 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 show stable income for underwriters and that's that's you know I don't I I talk to underwriters all the time and at the end of the day they make the rules I can say like I can say whatever I want and totally pick apart their illogical rationale but like if i you know if you're going to loan me a million dollars if you guys are going to loan me a million dollars you'd probably ask me a lot of questions too so <laughs> to make sure i can pay it back so uh the 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 commercial side you do you can do dscr loans that's a, that's a popular way to finance airbnbs and and construction projects um but you need to put more of your money in the pot so you can either you can either either find investors to to pool money together um 
or you can, you know, burr properties and get your money back out in, in six to 12 months, depending on how long the project is. So Connor, for the audience listening there, they would say that they're listening to your perspective, which is basically like, I wanted to be able to maximize the best of both worlds, utilizing the W2 until I no longer need to. But for the people that are no longer W2 and that are learning about what you do and how you do it, they can raise private money and do DSCR, which is what you're saying. That's another route. It's not like they have nowhere to go and they're yeah. uh, they're stuck at sea. Um, they they can do something else. They probably just have to raise more money to put down on the DSCR, right? Yeah, raise more money to put down on DSCR. You can also do uh, a home equity line. Uh, there are there are credit unions specifically a lot of, because of the state of the market right now the big banks are not going to do a HELOC on anything other than your primary residence you might be able to do second homes and there are but there are some credit unions out there that will do HELOCs on investment properties and 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 uh, they're usually state specific there's not like you can't just do Wells Fargo who, who lends everywhere it is a state it is going to be specific to your market those credit unions might lend on um, might lend on an investment property, but for those of the viewers who are just getting into it um, and who have equity in their primary, that would be a good way to do it. Um, however, you will run into a W-2 issue to pull that, uh, to, to access that equity line in the, in the, uh, um, in the loan process. Um, the other way uh, I would say is essentially the DSCR model, don't jump into an investment if you can't afford it, do not over leverage. Um, you know, the bank is going to be your best friend. I would say do not use hard money if you're a beginner um, or you have a mentor who has used it and who has been successful with it um, because that's a good way to, 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 I guess, set yourself back seven to 10 years when you file bankruptcy and your credit's <laughs> really private. Uh, but, but there are a lot of people out there. I'm just trying to speak the truth because like a lot of people out there will jump right in and you do need to take some risks, but like, some you need to be able to to hedge the storm when it comes because in real estate investing whether you're in midterm or short term or long term or development or whatever your strategy is there are problems that arise and you get paid a lot of money to solve problems but you need to be equipped and educated to handle those and just like when we're all children and we're learning to walk you're gonna fall you're gonna take some falls and your parents are there to save you like that's what a mentor or coach is for and, you know, that's why, uh, you know, I encourage everyone to pay for a coach sometimes like my time and expertise is valuable, just like you, uh, just like yours is or the mentees is, but we're all at certain points in our, in our investing experience or in our professional experience. And you have to pay experts for their time. Like if you don't, if you don't do that, you're not going to take what they say seriously because you didn't have to work for the information you were given. Um, and, uh, you know, it's worth, it's worth it because you're, they're going to save you a lot of money and mistakes. So that's what I would say in terms of, uh, I, I guess, like finding money. Also, if you're raising private money, you're raising private money in the beginning from your friends and family. That is very important. You get them paid back and you don't do anything, uh, irrational or, or, or just like reckless because relationships in real estate, no matter what you're in is the most important thing. Uh, you can make you make a lot of money through the relationships uh, over time, whether it's contractors, property managers, uh, software developers, uh, you know, everyone, the, everyone, it's all it's all building your toolbox. And when you ruin a relationship in real estate, 
it, it, you can't fix it and it get the word gets out and that's a big deal. Um, so anyway, that, sorry that about that tangent about, about relationships and, and, and building your toolbox and paying for mentorships, but it's, I think it's important. I, I do have one more follow-up question because there's a difference between hard money and private money and all these different things. And, and maybe you could talk about that, but maybe tell us um, how you would tell a rookie developer how to raise money and, and is exactly what type of money and exactly what that type of money means. Because I think I was a rookie not such a long time ago, and I didn't know the difference between different categories. And obviously, we're going to chop these into small sound bites, so you already know what I'm thinking. So hit it. Okay. So for for private money, private money is usually money that you can raise from a, a friend or family in the beginning, and, and can once you once you have a product or a proven system, you can reach out to investors. It's a lot cheaper than hard money. A lot of times, it's paid out. You know, I've seen anywhere from like six to twelve percent like interest. So you know, if somebody um, somebody gives you a hundred dollars, they're going to give them anywhere from six to twelve dollars back annually. Um, for hard money, that is essentially an investor or a group of investors that are trying to make money by providing you a type of loan that a normal bank like a Wells Fargo or Chase will not give you because of the state of the property or because the state of your type of employment um, or your credit. Um, so that type of money is more expensive and, and they, they're essentially loan sharks of the mafia. They're, they, you know, it's, it's great that they, that they provide, they provide a service and you, if you know how to use them and use them well, you can use their money as a tool to make a lot more money and it's worth it, uh, especially in the beginning. But um, that is, it's more expensive and way more risky uh, for your own credit and your ability to scale. Um, because if you mess up, if you mess up that there is no making mistakes really with hard money, um, with a normal, essentially a normal construction loan or, or commercial loan, there's different categories of what you can do. Usually right now, the state of the market, you, it's going to be hard for you to find a, a normal bank or credit union to develop a rental property. So usually when you do that, a bank will, on, on the conventional side, you'll have to put down 10 to 25% of the amount of money you're asking for. And then they are your friend when it comes to the contractor, because they're, they're going to send out an inspector like six times throughout the project and make sure that the contractor's done what he said before he gets paid again. So like for me, I'm remote. So I'm not seeing, and I'm also not an inspector or a contractor. I don't really know how plumbing is supposed to be by the code. So there, that's a, that's a actually like a kind of like a safety net that is very helpful when you are able to use regular banks. And your regular banks are cheapest type of money uh, usually, um, but there's just a lot more underwriting requirements. And then if you're, you know, if if you run into those underwriting requirements, you can um, you can go commercial, but that side of it is you're you're usually required to put down like. 15 to 25%, they view it more of like kind of like on the DSCR model where they'll give you some credit for re potential revenue that you're gonna be making to qualify for the loan in the first place. But the underwriting requirements are different for, for, for commercial versus, versus uh, conventional loans. Um, I, did I hit on everything you wanted? Literally amazing. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> sign up. I think I would sign up for your course if I was hearing this stuff for the first time. So I think that's uh, you're doing amazing. 
So uh, going on the development side of things, you might if I butt in, Yoni. Uh, like I was super interested in you saying that you took a townhome and you essentially made it into like two units by just putting a door in between. But then, oh, if I get a larger claim, then I can, or like a, an insurance claim or something, then I can house this larger family. And so that's super, super interesting. I'd love to know like, how did you, like what type of specific floor plan, like if somebody was trying to build a buy box that they're like, oh, I want to copy that. What types of properties should they be looking at to be able to do something like that? So those specifically are have basements. So they're mm -hmm. they have walkout basements. So uh, the way that that works is that you know their walkout base. If you enter in through the walkout basement, there's there's a studio and there's a bathroom, kitchen and a laundry room. And then if you walk up the stairs, there's a door that leads to nowhere. It locks from the basement side and it also locks from the other side. And the other side has usually it's the first floor of the other unit. So that side is on technically street level. And then you, you, you open, open the front door to that one, walk in the living room, kitchen room, kitchen, dining room. And then if you go upstairs and there's a half bath there too on that main floor, you go upstairs, there's two full bathrooms or two full bathrooms attached to two full bedrooms and a laundry. So those units uh, essentially, if you rent it, like I currently they're rented to two separate tenants. So there's a single person downstairs in the basement, and then she and she walks in the back door essentially. And then if you, you know, walk in the true front door of the home, that's that's the you know the main living area and the and the master and the and the guest bedroom up there. But if you essentially just open the door that leads down to the basement, then I just have essentially a three three and a half home with two kitchens and two laundry rooms. So the, nice. that's kind of how I do it. And that's to, you know, to provide some utility for how I rent it. It's still a furnished rental, no matter how you cut it. It's just a matter of like, all right, an insurance claim is usually going to pay the most. Um, and what, uh, but they're less reliable claims. There are ways to build relationships with insurance companies and essentially have them agree to like be your tenant for 12 months. And, uh, you know, whether it's in use or not by a claimee, they're paying you and they, they you know in california they're pay, they they pay like i think like 6 to 15,000 a month depending on whether you're in the bay area or the central valley but you know the problem and what a lot of people are doing honestly is they're getting into the space they're arbitraging a unit with the hopes of getting like a an insurance claim and they're running their numbers accordingly and that is in my opinion an extremely poor investment strategy and bad idea because you need to have you need to have rental income. Like that is that is what's making you money. And when you're renting an apartment, you know your cost on that in the in California is going to be between fifteen hundred to like five thousand a month in like one of the new apartment buildings, depending on the location you're in. So that is you know an insurance claim. Sure, it might pay like seven thousand a month, and you know your rent is four, and then you have another five hundred or thousand dollars in turnover and in utility costs. So your cash flow is like fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars. You're carrying a lot of risk in that model, and you don't even own the asset. So, you know, to each his own. I, I try to stick to things that I know, and I don't do arbitrage for that reason. But I could if I had to. I, I think I have enough experience where I could find a unit where the numbers make sense. But I would not recommend like picking a property where your overhead is so big and your risk is so high because a lot of the people who are just starting out are not in a position to carry their own living expenses and whatever they do day to day when uh, in addition to this 
potentially vacant six months a six months out of the year arbitrage property. Um, so that is is why I, I kind of target more of the nurse and the agency side is because it's more reliable. Again, going back to what I said about what I am good at, I'm good at acquisitions and I'm good at creative floor plans and developing property. I don't want to spend time managing property, trying to place tenants and stuff like that. I do have a, a guy who I'm training to kind of, I'm teaching him a little bit about pricing for the market. But for me, I don't, I don't have to get top dollar because I'm my dollars, most of my dollars are coming from the development and the tax write-offs and the property ownership benefits and stuff like that and raising money. The rental aspect of it, that that's a bonus and that's reliable money that comes in and it's more than long-term rents. But I don't I don't want to have to put a lot of my time and efforts into, into like stressing about vacancy. So that is why the midterm model makes sense for me. Sure, if I had relationships or I worked on building the relationships with the insurance companies, right? That's not my my focus. No. Yeah. So I, I uh, whenever we had Jesse on our podcast, uh, he was talking about quote unquote uh, lazy medium term rental investors, and I was like, "Yep, that's me. I'm a lazy one because I just let them come to me. I should be quote unquote should be going out, reaching out to these companies, trying to make relationships." And like Jesse's phenomenal at that, and that's why he's one of the best in the midterm game. But you know, it's also very possible to just like have a good unit. If you put it up there for a reasonable price, people are more than likely going to book it. And then I, I agree with you too, like targeting nurses versus targeting insurance agencies. Like if you're in a market where there are traveling nurses, as long as you're making it a, a good price, like people are going to be staying there. And especially like, oh my gosh, I need to like crank it all the way down because something's going on, whatever. And you just have like a break even price. That's going to be a steal for some nurse and they're going to gobble that up. So it, it definitely hedges your risk a lot more having like that bigger pool of people. But um, you, you've mentioned taxes a handful of times now. So taxes with the developments, how, how exactly does that work? Because that's something that a lot of people have trouble with you know, I myself have trouble with just like you know understanding the whole tax side of things and how like uh doing new developments or you know building something or whatever could really help reduce your tax bill you might touch it on that sure so I'll start with I'm not a CPA but this is my <laughs> don't sue me yeah so uh essentially the the main thing with taxes and real estate in general is uh real estate professional status that is that is crucial to essentially being able to write off a lot in real estate. So as, as from my understanding, a normal, a normal individual is, um, you know, you can write up, uh, you can write off like, um, depreciate, you can depreciate your, your assets. You can do a cost segregation if you want, um, to, to essentially take all your losses in one year that you would have taken over 27 and a half years, which is how long a normal residential asset depreciates over. Um, but when you, when you, qualify as a real estate professional, that opens you up to essentially writing off everything in your life. So uh, if you use, if you drive your car to show a house, if you're a realtor, you can write off the gas and the wear and tear in your car. If you are also developing real estate or furnishing furnished rentals, you can write all of that off. You're, you're limited to like, I believe around $25,000 a year if you do as a, as a real estate investor, if you don't qualify for that. And $25,000 is not a lot of money in real estate. It is, it, it, it is a lot of money, but it's, that's not uh, in, in, in the real estate world, world that is not. So 
you know, you need to be able to qualify for that status so that you can, you know, when you're developing a home, for example, I don't know, I don't, I don't care where you are in the country to build a house. that's going to cost like a couple hundred thousand dollars. So if you qualify as a real estate professional, you can write off a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of, of income. It's a big deal. Um, that is how some of the most wealthy people in the world don't pay taxes. And a lot of people that like our former president, for example, I use that as a, as a famous example because everyone, everyone knows that example. Um, that is, uh, you know, so re real estate, you can depreciate a lot of it and it's not real losses. It's, it, it's yeah. an asset that will give you income. It's going to appreciate. And then you can essentially refinance the property. So let's say you built it for 200 and now it's worth six and the bank will loan you 80% of 600 once it's built. That is debt. You can pull you can pull eighty percent of six hundred out. You pay pay the contractor his two hundred, and then you're left with a couple hundred, a couple hundred. I don't know what the exact math on it, but a couple hundred in debt that you can use to live on or or for your next project or whatever you want to do. So that four hundred seventy nine thousand dollars worth of tax free income that you could pull out. Well, quote unquote income. It's a tax free that you could pull out of that refinance. Yeah, that's a, it's absolutely insane. Sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to give you a how crazy that number could be. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you would still have to pay your contractor out of that. So that was minus 200 off that, but that's still like a couple hundred thousand dollars is way more than, than most people need in their daily lives. You, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in living below your means. And that's how, that's actually another very important point. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to go off on a tangent, but uh, live below your means. That's a huge step in real estate investing in general. Uh, you need, you need money. You need money in the game. Um, whether it's a midterm rental or short-term rental, you need to have your personal expenses as low as possible. So, um, uh, you know, the, the strategies related to taxes and stuff like that, that is a more complicated, uh, that, that's more complicated. And I would say not to focus on that or have not have that be your sole, I guess, like reason to invest in, in real estate, unless you're already a very well-versed and savvy business owner who understands taxes and what all that and refinancing and how debt is not taxable, things like that. That's more complicated. And you'll naturally learn these things as you buy your first house, as your accountant says, hey, you need to do this. You need to become a real estate professional, have your spouse become a real estate professional so I can give you more write-offs. Your, your, your CPA, if they're good, should be able to tell you all these things in advance. And then you'll naturally learn some of these things through going through a refinance or going through your first home purchase. But the, the, you know, the, the model that I always live by is you want to mitigate your risk as much as possible and make as much money off of that risk as off of that minimal risk as possible. I think um, that that's, I guess the, the, the tax side of it. Uh, I wouldn't say focus on it in the beginning, but it's something very important um, as you grow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like uh, we had uh, uh, the learn like a CPA on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Yoni, what's his name? We had him on there. Can't remember. We had him on the podcast a while back and he was Ryan. talking about how important. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan. he's yeah. talking about how important taxes are. And like, then not only, you know, just using taxes to your advantage, but then like thinking strategically about what the next play is. Cause there's a lot of investors that just kind of like, they're just like, you know, rabid dogs wanting to just grab a hold of everything they can get just buy, buy, buy. But he's like, you need to be strategic about how you're buying and when you're buying to take advantage of like all the tax things that you can. So that's why it's important to have a good CPA, somebody that can really help you through all these tax things. So, uh, 
All right, Connor, we've been like rolling through this thing. So I want to start digging into some of our uh, ending questions that we have. It's just a handful of questions that we like to ask everybody. Um, my favorite question that I like to ask people is what's the favorite, what is your favorite deal that you have done in the past? Like what's the one that you look at and you're just like, yes, I love that one. So I would say my my first deal, because without that, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I am. Like you, uh, like I learned a lot through the first deal. It was, it was a low risk deal and it was something that kind of, it, I didn't know it at the time, but it allowed me to create a duplex out of it. So that that kind of created a system that and and I it was a low low risk entry point where I could support the debt myself if I had nobody renting rooms from me. And then as I kind of learned about midterm rentals and stuff like that, I was able to kind of chop up and create that floor plan where I created a duplex out of a single family home. Um, to so and then learn about the taxes, learn about development, learn how to manage contractors and management and all that. But uh, I'd say that first deal is was for sure the the starting point and and uh, for me. Love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, question that I'm curious about is you're 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 quite unique. Who's the expert in your niche that you really glean from the most and look up to the most? So I would say when I, when Jesse was very in the beginning of his, of his growth and built and building his company, uh, I, I learned a lot from him and that's really what encouraged, he, he really encouraged me to, to, uh, I guess, go, go all in on it. And, but to be honest with you, I don't, so, so that, that's where the midterm rental inspiration came from and exploration. Uh, since, since then, uh, I, I've kind of like, I've used what I learned from him and I've kind of created my own model that, that works best for me. Um, and what I'm good at, we're, you know, uh, I, we're both great at different things. Um, and, and I, but without him, his expertise in what midterm rentals are and how to like essentially utilize the resources that I have, um, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be where I am today. Uh, the development side, that's, that's a hundred percent me there's and books. Uh, there's, uh, I, I read a couple books, um, off of bigger pockets, uh, one burr by David green. That one is kind of, is pretty interesting. And that kind of, I use that to kind of, uh, I guess, anticipate what a property will be worth and how much I'll be able to pull out on an essentially to, or well, as an equity line to then finance the next property. Um, there's nobody really though who does midterm rentals and construction. That's kind of my my niche so far. I, I, I'm not aware of anyone else who does combines midterm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Super cool, man. Super cool. Um, all right. Next one for me then would be, um, do you have any sort of daily habit? You know, we, we find that a lot of successful people, they have like things that they kind of go through on a daily basis or like something to get their mind right, get them in the game, do whatever they're, you know, going to do that day. Do you have any sort of daily habits do you think have helped you excel to the level you're at? Sure. So I, where I live, I, uh, I live in a, in, in a suburb of Palo Alto. So there's a lot of trees and a lot of good hiking and, a popular a popular hike around here is called the Stanford Dish Hike, and that there's a lot of people on it, and I don't really like that. I like to be by myself in the morning and think about what I need to do for the day and what where I'm at with my goals for for the year. Um, so I go there's a, there's a hike close by, and I it's a secret hike. That's what I'm not telling anyone what the name is, but there's <laughs> there's, 
there's a, I, I go on a walk in the morning and that walk is usually like three or four miles, kind of get my thoughts together for the day. Usually, you know, just like both of you, I'm sure at some point you check your phone in the morning and uh, 10 things get added to your to-do list that were not originally on it. So that happens uh, usually before the hike, but I do, you know, I do check that you have to, you have to adapt with your business or what, whatever's going on in your life. Um, but usually that walk is what gets me like mentally ready for the day. Um, and then I, I'm a big list person and a, a, I like, I like to make my list for the day and like time blocking things. Um, so that's kind of, those are, those are like my, the beginning of the day items. Uh, and then I usually make it to the gym at least once in the day. That's been a, been a big thing for me is self-care, uh, throughout COVID as a nurse, I didn't do any, and that, that's not, not a good thing. You have to be your best to provide the best either midterm mental experience, like hospital experience for patients and stuff like that. So um, I'd say like making sure that you are at your best because that is what's gonna, you need to bring your best for for like people you're meeting, like the relationship starter kind of uh, meetings or you need to bring your best for when a client or somebody has a problem and you're, you're expected to help solve it. So uh, without without you being able to like, be in a good place yourself uh, and everyone is different with how they do that with hiking or with working out or whatever self-care um that's kind of uh i guess what i do to prepare myself to be the best that i can be every day for business for nursing um and for making new relationships in real estate yeah i would say uh nurses are definitely not well known or just healthcare workers in general are not well known for self care they're used to doing you know other people care and then you know we get kind of like whatever is left over so i think that's super important i like that man um okay and then last thing is what kind of challenges are you facing in your business right now and how could our listeners potentially help you and then where can they find you instagram social media whatever sure so I would say the biggest problem right now in my business or the biggest thing that I'm working on is, is essentially like finding the right people for the right jobs. Like uh, Yoni, you mentioned uh, uh, VAs. I, I have, I don't really, I, I don't have a good system yet for VAs. I, I'm into, I'm, I'm figuring out a way to manage, to do the property management side with AI. And that's very interesting to me. I've, I've had a couple good software meetings with some people, but you need somebody to be able to answer certain questions. You need a person at the end of the phone when certain situations arise. So essentially the expansion of that. Um, and then uh, I would say, I guess like private, essentially private money, like there's never enough money. So I, I'm great at finding deals. I'm great at making the development happen. I have the relationship with the contractors. So uh, essentially pri any, any kind of private money or partnerships, I, I'd be open to listening to. I'm not willing to uh, jump into those with just anyone. And it has to be mutually beneficial and, and everyone has to be on the same page with uh, roles and responsibilities. But that would be my, uh, those would be my, I guess, two, two main, I guess, limitations right now. Um, and then what was the, what was the second part of the question? Well, so if anybody wants to reach out, partner up with you, whatever, what's the best way to get a hold of you? And if people want to follow along with your journey, how is the best place for them to follow you? Sure. So, uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Uh, the Facebook's just Connor Mather, uh, C O N N O R for Connor and then Mather M A T H E R, uh, for you or for, uh, Instagram, it's Connor underscore Mather. 
Um, and then my TikTok links are on there too. I don't really do too much on TikTok though. Perfect. Yeah, well, listen, this was great. You're very smart. And I really was shutting up and listening to you talk. And I, <laughs> there were some things that you explained that were very uh, embarrassing to say, like basic things that I haven't spent a lot of time thinking slowly on. And you, you know, you explained very well. I like, I like the niche within the niche that you're focusing on. I love the midterm niche because David has already converted me. I have no midterm units myself. I'm yeah. sure I will in the future. Um, I hope you become a friend of the pod. Yeah, I for sure will. I don't know, like, what can I do to stay involved or to like, you know, further promote your product? Even though it's a little, I mean, it's a little bit different, but I don't know how, how you, you guys are going to incorporate the midterm into the software. Well, um, well, for the, for the podcast, let's address the first part of the question for the podcast. Um, we'd love to have you back because I think you were excellent. And I, and I sense that your, your star power will grow with time and we're happy to help and, and aid in that, um, as it relates to the midterm side inside the tech, um, in the next two or three months, I would love to address the midterm market with something thoughtful when that happens i'm probably gonna get, get my midterm avengers you david maybe jesse will take me up on it and i'll have all the data i just need to crunch it in a way that's thoughtful um and i would say we have would have all the ingredients on the cutting board and we would need we would need the expert uh the experts to tell us how to make it so um i will be in touch with you about that i promise you you might not hear from me for a little bit and then i'm gonna randomly you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, and then regarding like how to help immediately, we're going to probably take one of these clips today, throw it up as a collab. Um, and um, we'll do, we'll do a few of them, but today we'll get one out. And then, um, yeah, we're looking, we're looking for what my goal is the fetch. My goal, our goal, David and I's goal is that the fetch community can tap into people that we've already screened that are very doing interesting things that are good people that are happy to help. And then they may, some of them may reach out to you and that would be really cool. Um, and that, that's really what I would love to see happen. And if we can, and if we benefit in the end from just shooting that out into the world, that's just a plus for us. So. Awesome. I answered the question. Beautiful. Connor, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. We really appreciate it. Wealth of knowledge, and uh, I'm sure there will be other uh, healthcare workers that'll uh, that'll dig it. You know, I, I think there's a there's a lack of healthcare workers in the investing world, at least that are in a spotlight. So it's nice being able to like show you know fellow nurses like, hey, you don't have to grind it out for the rest of your life if you don't want to. You can uh, you know come on and you know get a little bit of investments, try and help supplement that income and and move forward. So we appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, no problem, David. Thank you both very much for having me. I, I can't thank you enough. Absolutely. All right. It's been another episode of the Fetching Podcast. Peace.